them. I tell you, our God is an awesome God, and uh, he has blessed Kavanaugh Church immensely, hasn't he? Uh, this is your church for life. So from the, the cradle to the grave, you can learn about Jesus here. You can learn about eternal life. Uh, as a, a young kid back in Brother Johnny's uh, kid's church, you're going to be taught the word of faith. And then as you go into junior high and high school, Brother Nathan is going to share with you that Jesus can set you free from your sins and temptations. And when you get into college, uh, Brother Devin is going to share with you that uh, Jesus is there for you in the good times and the bad times. And then you graduate to me. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I don't know what, I, I can't do anything else with you, you know. Uh, but we're, here's what I want you to know. We're in this together, okay? This is your church for life. And uh, it, it, it dawned on me this week with both victories and tragedies that what does a person do without a church? I mean, what, what do you do without a church family to give you support? Uh, Sister Charlotte is here today, and I acknowledge that you're here. God bless you. Uh, Brother Larry uh, was promoted to heaven this past week. Sister Charlotte lost the love of her life, and uh, uh, the man that uh, she stood beside, and he stood beside you. And I want to commend you, Charlotte, for taking such good care of uh, Larry during these last few weeks and months of his life. And church family, we, we will celebrate the life of Brother Larry this coming Tuesday at 11 o'clock. Funeral is going to be here at the church. Do pray for Charlotte and the family. Uh, but you know what? That's what a church is for, you know, to, to be there in difficult times and also to be there in times of celebration. And a couple of weeks ago, I was thinking, you know, this is an awesome day for our church. Our kids are going to graduate. And we had so many graduates uh, that we gave honor to today. Instead of me preaching, they need to hear a, a word from Brother Nathan. And so I asked Brother Nathan to preach this morning. And uh, I think since uh, midnight, he's been hooked up to an iced coffee, caffeine. And uh, he's wired, man. He preached at the 9 o'clock service, did a phenomenal job. And I know, listen to me, I know whether you're a teenager in this room or an adult or a grandparent, God is going to speak to you today through his chosen man, Brother Nathan. So give him a big hand as he comes and shares God's word with us today. Love you, bro. God bless you, man. Appreciate you. Man, it is an honor to be able to speak in front of you today. I'm pumped. I am hooked up to an IV of coffee. Um, thank you, Brother Will, for having that installed at my desk. Um, man, I love, yeah, I have been so excited for this, this moment, this time. I've been excited, but I've not been excited because some of these teenagers that are graduating, all the teenagers are graduating, I'm not looking forward to losing them at all. Uh, but I know that God has some amazing things for them. And mm -hmm. I, I am so pumped for them um, as they move on to, to college and they, they, they really start to, to further ed their education. But also to the college graduates, awesome job. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, that is an That's amazing great. It is Let's fantastic. give them a round of applause. That's amazing. You know, I, I said through several commencement. Uh, speeches this past week. I think I, 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 I went to four different graduations, and I think I've got a couple more this week. Um, man, and, and I, I heard nothing but great stuff. But as I was sitting there listening to these speakers announce, this is the class of 2018, I, just, I couldn't help but to think that I've been out of high school for 12 years. <laughs> I'm 30. I look like Taylor Swift at 22. I mean, let's, let's be honest. Like, I feel like, I feel like a teenager. I look like I'm 22, but I'm 30. Yeah. That's when Jesus started his ministry. I mean, yeah. that's crazy. 
But um, I, I couldn't help but to think back to some of my high school days and some of the memories that I loved. And I instantly went to my senior pranks. Um, I love senior pranks. Um, I was a part of several. Um, and I want to ask you, how many of you were a part of a senior skip day or senior pranks? Okay, I know half of you are lying right now. Because I know you were a part of some. Let me share with you a couple of the ones that I was honored to do. Um, our... Uh, High school, my, I went to Northfield High School, and we had a sister school that was identical. The building was identical. Same floor plan, same everything. The band room in, the, in one school was the same exact band room in the other school. The cafeteria was the same. All the classrooms, principal's office, knew that one well. Anyway, so um, the, the buildings were identical, okay? So we decided one morning that we were going to switch with the senior class at the other school. So we actually went to our first period class in the opposite school, and I went to band class, because I was first chair trombone in high school, something I'm proud of, trombone, and uh, yeah, yeah, my band geeks, let's, let's rise. Anyway, so, um, so I went, and I actually played in first chair of my friends at, at the opposite school, and the band director looked at me mid-class, and he actually called me Graham, and asked me to play in front of the band, the part on the play, on the page. I was like, crazy. That was awesome. I really pulled off. And then there was that intercom speaker that said, if you're from Norfolk High School, please stand up and leave. And I did. And he was just like wide-eyed, like he couldn't believe it was me. I had long, shaggy hair my senior year, so I did my friend, so it worked out. Um, the other one that I did, how many of you know what ag is? It's a two-letter word shortened for agriculture. Now, I know nothing about farming, okay? I wear flip-flops the majority of my life. I love Starbucks, I love Mario Kart. I'm a nerd. I know nothing about farming. The only thing I know about farming is what the Bible says of me. I'm a sower casting the seeds out into the field and hoping, hoping one day that the gospel is rooted and it grows. So that's all I know about farming. I decided on Ag Day to pull a senior prank. Um, and Ag Day is something where all the farmers, future farmers of America, whoo um, decide to bring your farm animals to school to that day and you roll up in your pristine John Deere. It was amazing. Beautiful display in the back and uh, in the parking lot. Took, took up my parking space, whatever. So during one of the, the, the breaks between classes when there was no ag teacher to be seen and only a couple of us in the back room, we decided to release two pigs in the school. I threw oil on those pigs, so it made them hard to catch. Imagine the teachers diving, trying to get a good grip on one. But I also painted numbers one and three on their sides. The school literally went on a 35-minute lockdown, trying to find pig number two, which never existed. Yes! Woo! Yeah, it was awesome. Now, there's many, many more, and I'm not going to say those because we're in church. So um, it's good. But as I was really thinking about this morning and, and our graduates, man, I, there's so much advice and so much wisdom. I, I, I wish I could lock them in a room for like a year and just play an audio tape of all the things that they need to hear and prepare for life. But I don't have that opportunity. I don't have that chance. 
Um, I, I get my time with them on youth group, at youth group, and then I know Devin gets his time with them at Merge. Um, man, it's just never enough time. We don't have enough time. That's why we're always encouraging you to be in God's word and taking in as much as you can because Brother Will, me, Devin, Brother Jason, anyone on staff, Brother Johnny, we don't have, there's not enough time for us to share with you everything that you need. And I heard so many great things at these commencement speeches over the last week, uh, living a life of integrity, uh, go, working hard, doing a great job, really just pouring your all into life, making life for the, the, the best of it, the most of it etc. And I really have been thinking and praying about what God would have me to say to the graduates today, but then also as a church. I mean, we all are about to take big steps in our life. We're, we're already, we're all, we all at different times, no matter what our ages are, we, we're about to take on the next phase. There are those times, there are those moments where we have to be prepared. And whether we believe it or not, whether we have chosen to believe it or not, I believe God has spent a lot of time or trying to to prepare us for what's ahead for moments like, like these when it's time to take the next step. So what I want to do with, with you this morning is read you a passage of scripture, and then I'm going to pull vault the, off of this for the remaining, for the remaining of my sermon. If, um, the passage is in Deuteronomy 31. It's in the first few verses, um, and it's Moses speaking to the children of Israel. And he said to them, I am 120 years old today. I'm no longer able to go out and come in. The Lord has said to me, you shall not go over this Jordan. The Lord your God himself will go over before you. He will destroy these nations before you so that you shall dispossess them. And Joshua will go over at your head as the Lord has spoken. And the Lord will do to them as he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and to their land when he destroyed them. And the Lord will give them over to you. And you shall do to them according to the whole commandment that I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. This is in the, the reading of the word of the Lord. I hope we hear it. I hope we see it. And I pray that we live. Let's pray. God, you are good. And again, I thank you so much for your word. Um, you have everything there written on those pages. You have opened this up to us completely. You hold nothing back. You want us to know what you want us to know. And so I'm thankful for that this morning, that we have a God who loves us, that wants to give us the best, and wants us to know the most that we can as we enjoy this life. I pray for this word this morning, be with the words as they come from my mouth, and they go into the hearts of your people. In your name, amen. Let me give you a little bit of context. Uh, the children of Israel had been enslaved in Egypt for over 400 years, 400 years plus. They had been, been uh, kind of secluded into a couple different areas, two different significant towns, uh, putting up monuments and building up these cities for Pharaoh. Uh, they were slaved uh, there. They were beaten. They were bruised. They were hurt and, and, and many killed uh, for, you know, as they were working there. Um, but God heard the cries of his people. God knew his children needed his help, so he decided to answer those cries and send help. And he sent uh, two men, Moses and Aaron, and these guys are very significant leaders in, in Israel's history. These guys are ones that, uh, that Jesus is even often compared to Moses, because Moses was this guy that was pulling uh, the, God's people out of uh, slavery, out of their trenches, out of their destructive life and leading them to the promised land, and that's what Jesus does for us, and Moses was that guy to do that. He took them from, he, he led them out of Egypt. He led them through the Red Sea. He, he was with them in the desert. He 
gave them God's law. And, and despite the children of Israel, whether they were uh, fully on board with him or not, God loved them, and he, Moses loved them, and God was trying to take them to a place where they needed to be, where he wanted them to be. So we come to the end of Moses' life, and he's 120 years old. And some of you may ask, well, why, why is Moses not able to go? I mean, old age isn't keeping him from it. Uh, there was a moment in Scripture where the, the children of Israel were very unsatisfied with God. They were impatient with him, and Moses got angry and cracked up a few miracles, and, was, and it really very much displeased God. And because of that impatience and because of the pressure and caving to that, God said, you're not going to go, but I'm going to train someone under you that you're going to prepare to take the, your, the children into the promised land. And that is Joshua. That's who jo uh, Moses is talking about. And he's talking to the people. He's talking to the people and he's saying, don't worry about what's to come. God is going to get you where you need to go. I mean, I think that's a message everyone needs to hear. God is going to get us where we need to go. What we have to do, what our responsibility is, is to open our hand, open our minds, and trust him, and let him lead us and guide us. That's our responsibility. God has been doing an amazing work on our lives. He's been trying to prepare us, but it's just often us that we've, we're the ones that need to respond. We're the ones that need to open it up and acknowledge that, um, and that's super important. So what I would have to say to the graduates today, and, uh, and you as my church family, is that these people in this passage of scripture weren't just any ordinary people. They were God's people. They were God's children. And you sitting in those pews right now, you're not just any ordinary person or people. You're God's people. From the beginning of time, God has had a plan in place to have a deep and intimate relationship with you and me. God loves you. God loves you. Whether you believe it or not this morning, God loves you and he cares for you. You are his and you are created in his image. Literally, God our Heavenly Father, Jesus, His Son, and the Holy Spirit, as they were creating the world, had a literal conversation. Let us make them after our likeness. And they did that. And again, the intention was to have that relationship. God wanted someone to love. And He created us to have that. And we know the story. We know that we are fallen. We know that we cave to sin. We know that we mess up. We know that we have had uh, quite the lifestyle of rebellion. But God still loves us. Know your worth. Know that you are God's people. Remember that you are the reason why God sent his one and only son to die on a cross for you and me. Whether you believe it or not, Jesus loves you. Jesus paid it all for you. He suffered on the cross. He rose again on the third day. And you have been bought with a price, too high of a price to think that you are not valued or you are not significant in the eyes of God. And if you do think that, I'm sorry, whether you believe it or not, the story of grace proves those thoughts wrong. So know that. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10 says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You were not, you were, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I want you to know that truth this morning. Graduates, I want you to know that truth. You are worth it. 
You have worth. You have value. And that value and that truth is intrinsically woven in the personhood of God himself. You need to know that. Because this world is going to tell you that you're going to need to climb so many different ladders to prove your significance. Church family, you right now, some of you are living in a corporate world or in a world which you have to constantly prove that you have some sort of value. Well, let me just go ahead and tell you fresh out of the gate, you don't have to live up or have this world define you at all. You can know from the very beginning in your mother's womb that you have value because you were created as in the image of God and Jesus died on the cross for you. Know that. Don't be hard on yourself. Don't let those doubts creep in and destroy your thinking. You are worth it and you are loved. Don't let this world, for whatever jobs or whatever life that you plan to, that you're in, classify the importance any less than what you are in God's eyes. But I also want you to remember that he's trustworthy. God is trustworthy. I could retell you the entire story again as just one example of God bringing his people out from a very difficult place into the place where he wants them to be. Look at your own life. Look at your testimony. And if you don't have one, look at the people around you. God has done some amazing, beautiful things in the people of this church. It open, ask questions, open up, listen to their stories, and realize that God does indeed work. And God is still working, and he can still work in you. The children of Israel in this passage of Scripture no doubt were afraid. They were afraid for what they were have to, about to, uh, to, to go into, walk into. Yes, it was the promised land, but there was a lot of things still in the way. They had fear. They had distrust. Uh, distrust in God, I'm sure. Even Joshua, I'm sure, had his moments where he was just a tad bit anxious. But what has he done in your life? What has he brought you through so far that you can look back and depend on and know that he is there for you every single step of the way? Open your hand and let him guide you. The second thing I want you to know after knowing your worth and that you are his people and that God def desperately cares for you and he wants the best for you is to realize that obstacles are going to be coming. Life is going to throw you some curveballs that you do not expect. Things are going to happen in your life that you do not want to have happen. Obstacles will come, and they will come. I wish I could tell you they, weren't, they wouldn't, but they are. You know they are. They will. Some of you are going through some of them right now, but let me tell you, graduates, as you start your journey, as you start your life, it's how you choose to take on those obstacles, even if you stumbled a bit, that matters. It truly is. Don't think for a second when that moment came for those the children of Israel to step across and through the Jordan that there still wasn't an elephant in the room. There was because they were about to go into this promised land, but there were giants and they were warriors and there were people far bigger than them. It's kind of a comparison. Me, Hayden Cantrell, that difference right there, okay? Huge, tall. They were getting ready to take on some amazing significant enemies in their time. Groups of people that were out, far outnumbered them. There were obstacles in the way. And of course, that approach never seems like a fun idea, but it was something that God certainly had instructed them to do. They were going to have to trust him on it. I love the word that they, they, I, I, they kind of had forgotten, but in this, in this word that Moses said to them, God is going to go before you. God's going to go before you. You don't have to worry about a thing. You just follow in obedience, and you're going to be okay. 
That's something that they were going to have to do, and it's something that we are going to have to do. We're in a very similar setup right now. You're about to go into the next stage of your life. You're getting ready to go into the next part of your life, and it's going to be a very critical time. I want you to know that God goes before you. Ask him to. Say, God, this is my life. I don't, maybe you know what's going to happen. Maybe you don't. But ask God, this is, this, is what's the, this is what my path is. Will you go before and clear the way? Will you go before me and fight for me? Take my battles? Choose something significant? I want to know you. And Moses encouraged both the people and Joshua to be strong and courageous. You can be strong and courageous because look who's on your side. Our Lord loves us. Obstacles are going to be in the way, but again, it's how we choose to trust God and how we choose to handle those things that are going to make a difference. You know, I, I was a, a cross-country and track runner uh, in high school. Uh, from middle school all the way through high school, I ran cross-country and track. I, I loved them both. Uh, Callie and uh, Joseph, you know, sometimes I have a, a difficulty trying to, to pick which one I like the most because both have so much thrill to them, all right? I like track, I think, because, you know, it was a smaller area. I wasn't just out in the backwoods by myself getting pushed around by a bunch of people because I was a dinky little cross-country runner, all right? I got picked on back in the fields and pushed and shoved and all that stuff. I like to be at the track where I had my coach there just have my back and, um, and and just a lot of people a lot more people watching me okay uh, I loved the track and the cross-country environments I really did um, but there's a rather very infamous story about me um, my senior year of high school um, that happened at one of my track meets and it's very infamous and it's something that I don't like to share very often but I want to today because it's it, it really um, fits well with this point um, it was one of the bigger invitationals, track invitationals of the season. It was called the Warrior Relays. It was going to be taking place at North Miami High School, okay? And I think at this time it was about halfway through the season, and I, I was really pumped. There was a couple of my icons and uh, icons that uh, cross-country icons that my coach had always talked about, graduate, you know, that we heard about the stories. They were actually there watching this event, and several of, uh, several of my close friends had come and attended. Um, I was really, really excited about this track meet. It was also, the night of this track meet was also the very first time I ever wore contacts. I was nerdy in high school. You should see my senior pictures. I, you, I hope you never see my senior pictures. Watch my wife post one on Facebook tonight, you know? It's going to just see it. Um, I was a nerd, man. I, I looked dorky, all right? My mom controlled my haircuts, and it did not go well with my glasses, you know? It just didn't. Um, but at this time, I had, I had finally grown out of the senior haircut my mom demanded that I have. And it was a little more shaggy and a little bit more elegant and beautiful. Um, and I could wear the headband. It was just gorgeous as it flopped in the wind. Man, I tell you. But let me tell you, wearing a headband and having that beautiful, gorgeous, be those locks of, mm, let me just take a moment. Mm. Having glasses on my face as I ran was never, just to me, wasn't a very pretty sight. And let me tell you, there was nothing like sweat dripping off my forehead, getting on my glasses while I ran, and it just getting in the way and trying to wipe it off like built-in windshield wipers, man. I mean, it's just that dorky, all right? I just, I just never liked it. So I was like, I'm going to take this step. I'm going to get some contacts. Well, I'm, I, I have my contacts in. And we're driving on the way to this track meet. And we were not allowed to talk. Our coach had very strict rules. Um, we were not allowed to talk to each other. We weren't allowed to listen to music. We were to, to focus on our events that we were going to do. And that's all that we could do. And if we wanted to talk to anyone, we could talk to Jesus. That's literally what he told me. Told us. He drove down the road with, driving the bus with duct tape over his mouth because he didn't want to answer any questions if we had one. 
So he was, he was very good. But I was sitting next to the window, and I had my contacts in, and I was sitting there, had eyes closed, open them up. The breeze is coming in, and then all of a sudden, this massive cloud of dust just kind of comes right in through the window. And I remember my eyes being so irritated and red and itchy. I had to take my contacts out. And again, I'm a noob at this at this time, a rookie, okay? And I literally take my contacts out, and I rip both of them, okay? I rip both of them. I'm like, no, this cannot be happening because I'm blind. I'm so blind. If I don't have my contacts in, I am blind, okay? Um, I knew I had my glasses, those dorky glasses in my backpack, but I refused to wear them because that would look horrible in front of my team because they've seen me all day and now to finally wear glasses. I was going to just trust the lines on the track, just stay between the lines. You know what I did? I very much did. Another variable I need to tell you that something you need to know as I continue this story is this uh, North Miami High School track and field, uh, they were redoing their football stadium and their track, and they had just put this brand-new track down. It was like this rubber stuff. It was the only school in, the, in, the, in our conference that had it in this part of the state. So we were really excited about running on it. And, but they didn't have any sort of lights. So we had to not mess around and try to get this track meet done before the sun set because it would have been pitch black. And it ended up being pitch black because I ran the 4x4 100 meter relay. Okay, 4x4 100 meter relay. It's the last race. It's my favorite race. It's, it's the race that I lived for because everyone's there. No one's watching shot put. No one's watching discus. Everyone's watching the 4x4. And it's a fun race, Okay. There was a couple things that happened. I don't know what happened. Switched the events, or, uh, switched the events around right before, but they had they had um, put the girls' 200 meter dash um, races right before this meet. They had switched some stuff around, and then it was then it was our turns to go, our team's turn to go. And I remember being third man on the team, third man on the team. And generally, the third man, you know, you kind of want to establish establish the distance. If you can, you, you just put that that final guy. In a, in a comfortable spot and just take, bring the baton home. Um, I, re, I remember s no, no glasses, no contacts, trying to squint, see my, my, my teammates as we were talking to each other. Uh, I, I prayed an extra prayer for myself right in the moment. God, just help me see, <laughs> you know. We didn't look at each other when we handed off the baton, so I just was kind of depending on my, my hearing for that. And I, I remember grabbing my teammate's baton, and I remember taking off, man. And I was fast. Can I just take a moment to kind of just boast? I was fast. I was so fast. I, it just it takes me, you know, senior memories, high school days when I was a lot more younger, less old, faster. I didn't depend or I didn't engulf pizza rolls almost every meal or Coca-Cola. I was fast, man. I was fast. I could run one lap around the track. 0.9 seconds, 47.9 seconds. This mic isn't going to hold me back from me telling you that. 47.9 seconds. I was on fire. Literally, my coach could take some s'mores, cook s'mores over the track as I ran by. I mean, it was amazing. I could light a match and the whole place blow up, man. It was amazing. I was so fast. And I remember being in a very good position. When I had received the baton, I was at least 75 meters ahead of the, of the guy behind me. And by the time I reached to the 200-meter uh, dash mark on the opposite side of the track, I was well around 100 meters ahead of the, the guy behind me. I was coasting. I was coasting. I was so excited. But then the inevitable happened. I was watching my white lines, but I could not see the track, the black track. I knew I was running on black track, but I could not see it. 
it was dark outside, and I remember hearing the crunch of a lifetime. Someone had left a set of starting blocks in, from the previous race in my lane. I don't know how the other guys jumped over the water, probably because they could see, duh. But uh, I remember stepping on those starting blocks, and I went down for the count. I was out. I was screaming in pain. It's not that that was a, it was a big issue, but it was how I handled that moment that became very infamous. I started punching the track. I was mad. I started yelling obscenities and words that should never, ever come out of our mouths. I was blaming, throwing shade and blame to all sorts of people, cursing those people. How dare they would be so such idiots for leaving starting blocks in my lane. I was so mad in the moment. I was punching. I was yelling words. And I even picked up those starting blocks, rolled over, picked them up, and threw them at the fence. I was so mad. Luckily not hitting any of the other runners as they were running by. I was angry. I was raging there on the track. And I remember that once I really started to realize what was going on, I, uh, I wasn't the only person there. There was other people watching me, spectators, teammates, my coach, everybody. I remember finally coming to, still angry, but realizing I had made a fool of myself. Um, one of the girls on my, on my track team, she was the president of the Federation of Christian Athletics, which I was very much a part of, came over and she was like, really? You okay? It was almost like the look on her face was like, did, does all this merit what you just came out, what just came out of your mouth? Prayed over me. A couple other teammates came over, prayed over me. I was still crying, didn't want anything. I just kind of rolled off to the side and curled up in a ball and started crying. My coach came over and he told me he loved me and, and he said, you know, there's always next time and all that. I made a fool out of myself in that moment. It was something that I'm not proud of. I remember being talked to coach by coach after the track meet when we got back on the bus and I was one of the last people to get off because I was crippled and angry. And uh, I remember my coach sitting down next to me on the bus and he says, dude, I love you. He says, but that's not how we handle problems. That's not how we handle obstacles. It's not how, what, how we handle when things don't go our way. You're disqualified or suspended for the next two track meets. You know what? I loved him for it because it taught me a lesson. I don't act like that. You don't act like that. We don't act like that. How we choose to handle obstacles and life scenarios when they get in the way, we can choose to let our faith live out for us or we can take in control. Those are really the only two options. We can make an absolute fool of ourselves or we can be calm ourselves, give it to God, and let him be in control. We have to handle the situations that we be given in this life better than what we are, absolutely with the with the best that we can. We have to. We are going to be thrown in situations in life, graduates and and people of this church. We are going to be thrown situations in life that we are not going to like. We are going to be thrown in situations that we are not going to be able to handle. We are going to be given problems that we are not going to have the strength to deal with on our own. But God is God, and He is there for us. We can be strong and courageous. He can make something more out of us. Quickly, as I close, don't forget your support systems. Graduates, you've been given parents, grandparents, guardians, church family, youth group, teachers, professors, whatever have you. 
as some of the greatest support systems in your life. Don't take them for granted. The wisdom that they have said, the things that they have taught you growing up, don't let those go end as you walk across the stage. Still depend on those people. God, again, has given you those people. It's sometimes those people, that support system that you got to call home to, that you actually got to drive 12 hours to to just get in an encouraging word. Or they'll drive 12 hours to you to support you. When life gets tough, don't forget your support system. But then also, don't forget that you are called into a very high calling. God has called you into a very high calling. Um, in, in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 8 and 10, uh, uh, he was commissioning Isaiah uh, to go. Um, who shall I send? Who will go for us? And then Isaiah said, here I am, Lord, send me. Go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, their hearts, their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. There are going to be people that you come in contact with in your life that won't care about your faith. They're not going to care about your God. They're not going to care about your moral principles. They're not going to care about anything of your faith. And just because they don't understand it, and just because they might think it's inconvenient, you don't get to modify your ministry or calling because they don't think it's convenient. You don't do that. The truth is the truth. And Jesus references this, this same passage in between the middle of the parable of the sower, which we just got done talking about in youth group. He's basically saying, look, you're going to run into people with hard hearts. You're going to run into people that don't have a very uh, deep faith. You're going to run into people that have lives so crowded with other many things. But you don't stop casting the seed. You pray for those seeds that they find fertile soil. Hold fast to the truth in God and his ways. And remember that that is the way to walk his way. Which brings me to my final point. Graduates in, in, in our church, let's be a generation of truth-telling. Let's tell the truth. I mean, this is the truth. This is God's word. And the world, the world needs to hear that. I don't care if you're a dentist. I don't care if you like to cut people open. I don't care if you're a barista. I don't care if you like to cut hair. Um, whatever, groom pets. I whatever have you, I want you to have those, I want you to do, be successful, and I want you to do great in those avenues of life, but you have to share the truth. We have to share the truth. Joshua is going to be, elite, going to be leading several generations of younger than him into the promised land, okay? And when he got there, he was going to be in charge of making sure that God's commandment and his word was going to be remain, remaining intact with future generations, and he did that. But regardless the generational differences that there are between you, your future co-workers, the people that you live with, your grandparents, your family, or whatever, we have to make sure the truth of God is intact. And we could sit around and we could point out all the problems that we each other have. In fact, let me just go ahead and do that. In the 1950s, kids and teenagers that grew up in this time, they lost their sense of innocence. They were liberated from their parents by well-paying jobs, cars, lyrics, and music that gave a rise to the new term, the generation gap. Of the 1960s, the teenagers that grew up in this time lost their sense of authority. It was a decade of protest. The church, the state, and parents were all called into question and found wanting. Their authority was rejected, yet nothing ever replaced it. In the 1970s, uh, teenagers lost their sense of love. It was a decade of meism, dominated by hyphenated words beginning with self. Self-image, self-esteem, self-assertion. It made for a really, really lonely world 
Kids learned everything there was to know about sex and forgot everything there was to know about love. And no one had the nerve to tell them that there was actually a difference. In the 1980s, kids lost their sense of hope, stripped of innocence, authority, and love, and plagued by the horror of a nuclear nightmare, large and growing numbers of this generation stopped believing that there would ever be a future. In the 1990s, kids lost their sense of power to reason. Less and less, they were taught the very basics of language, truth, and logic, and they grew up with the irrationality of a postmodern world. And what that basically means in a nutshell is you have your beliefs, I have my beliefs, you have your ways, I have my ways. Don't cross me with your ways and your truth, and I won't cross you with my ways and my truth, and we can coexist. In a new millennia, kids woke up and found out that somewhere in the midst of all this change, they had lost their sense of imagination. Violence and perversion entertained them till none could talk of killing innocents since none were innocent anymore. And if Nathan could put his stamp on the teenagers between 2010 and 2020s, it would be me saying this, that teens have lost their sense of truth. And if I could have a description of it, it would say this, with a complete uproot of solid ground and traditional thoughts, kids have been given the opportunity to wake up to whatever identity they want to have. While mainstream media and significant leaders all claim fake news and lie about each other, both sides, third wave feminism scorching all forms of communication with the onslaught on masculinity, fatherhood, and motherhood, and society arguing over one-sided arguments from everyone and never ever taking the time to listen to others, teens have been given nothing to trust except for what they may think is right. Let me tell you, we have to tell the truth. We have to be a beacon of light. And this generation graduates going in, I want you guys to be the trailblazers. Go into your, the, your generations of, of, of people, go into your jobs, go into your schooling, wherever you go, and be a generation of telling the truth. Make actual change. And you know what? Maybe you'll run an encounter into one of those people who grew up in the 50s that lost their sense of innocence, or someone who lost their sense of authority, or love, or hope, or reason, or imagination, or truth. And then you can just simply say to that per- those people, I know one person that can solidify and mend all of those things, because he is described as every single one of those things in God's word, Jesus Christ. The truth needs to be told. I love you guys, and and this is the word that God has put on my heart. I just want to close with this, what Moses said to Joshua, is the Lord that goes before you, he will be with you, and he will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. And Jesus echoed those exact same words, or very similar words, in the Great Commission. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I love you guys. Your church loves you. This is what God has spoke to me, put in my life. Amen. Stand to your feet, would you? We're going to bow our heads and we're going to pray. Someone in this room needs to come today and accept Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. The truth has been spoken today. You've heard the truth. Jesus can set you free. Maybe you're here today and and at one point you accepted Jesus, but you're away from him. I'm going to invite you to come back home today. Reestablish that relationship. You're worth something to God. He loves you. He cares for you. Then if if you're a teenager here today or a, a college student who's just graduated, man, the challenge has been laid for you. Come today and receive the strength that God wants to give you to live your life to the fullest. 
If you're a parent or a grandparent, you've got kids, man, you need to come and pray for them today. Amen? You need to pray for them, that they live for Jesus, that they live for the truth, and that they do what is right. Heavenly Father,